Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Mark chapter 11, we're so glad you're here today. God bless you for coming. This is what is referred to on the Christian calendar today as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Reading out the New Living Translation, we'll go to several different translations today. But Mark chapter 11 says this, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Verse 2, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asked, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Verse 4, the two disciples left and found the coat standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that coat? They said what Jesus had told them to say and they were permitted to take it. Verse 7, Then they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people around him were shouting. What were they shouting? Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God! in the highest heaven. Today marks on the Christian calendar what is referred to as Holy Week. This is Holy Week. Holy Week is the week of events preceding the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. All week long, there will be days of celebration, days of prayer services, days of vigils, days of Bible study, days of fasting. Churches that are Christian churches will celebrate something special most every day this week. This is the one week of the calendar of the year, the secular calendar, that people point toward the church. It's considered Holy Week. Over the years, modern Protestant movements have largely disregarded the emphasis on most of the Holy Week activities, except two, and that be the crucifixion and the resurrection. We emphasize those. Those of us in charismatic Pentecostal churches, full gospel churches, over the years, we forgot about a lot of things, but we emphasize too the resurrection and the crucifixion. And those are significant events and definitely need to be uh, emphasized, but at the same time, every day of Holy Week was a fulfillment of prophecy. Every day of Holy Week, according to the Scripture, something important happens that if we learn the principle of that day, will help us in our walk with the Lord. Holy Week begins today with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We refer to this day as Palm Sunday. In fact, this triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem, Palm Sunday celebration, is so important to God that it's one of the few events in Jesus' life that is mentioned Four times 
in the New Testament or in the four synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those writers talk about Palm Sunday. All four of them talk about this day. There's a lot. The birth of Jesus is not talked about in all four. But Palm Sunday is talked about all four. There's a lot of events of Jesus' life that are talked about in one gospel. Some events are talked about two. Several events are talked about in three of the four gospels. But this is one of few events that is referred to four times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the writers. So this lets us know the importance of this day. It's Palm Sunday. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew says it this way, verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, uh, said, sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there and its coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take him. This took place to fulfill the prophecy. Now notice what it says. This took place to fulfill a prophecy. In other words, this was spoken of hundreds of years earlier. Verse 5. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a coat, riding on a donkey's coat. Verse 6. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the coat to him and threw their garments over the coat and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus and his disciples make their way into Jerusalem. Jesus realizes this is probably the last week of his life. The disciples hadn't figured that out yet. They're caught up in the fanfare and the parade. The fame of Jesus had spread so much throughout Israel because he had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He had fed thousands. He would caused a, a fish to spit out money to pay its taxes. And his fame had spread so much that people, when they heard that he was coming to the city... They gathered like a big parade and they waited on the sides of the streets and they brought out palm branches so the donkey would walk on the, the leaves of the branches instead of walking on the dirt road. Why palm branches? In Jesus' day, a palm recognized well-being. It was a symbol of well-being. It was a symbol of health. It was a symbol of victory. And every time a general re would return from battle... A Roman general would return from battle. The Senate of that day, they would vote what they would call a triumph. They would vote a day where the whole town would stop and they would have a parade for the general marking a day of victory. That this man was a victorious warrior and he had conquered the enemy. Kind of like the Chicago Cubs this past fall. After the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Anybody remember that? They hadn't won it in over a hundred years, wasn't that it? And the whole city shut down. They shut down the whole city for a parade for the Chicago Cubs. Even the people stopped killing each other. Even the murderers in Chicago stopped murdering one another. Even the murderers went to the parade. Because they voted a parade. They wanted to celebrate. 
Well, this was a celebration. Nobody voted it. Nobody planned it. It was just a spontaneous thing that was moved on, promoted by the Spirit of God. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah prophesied that this parade would happen. Look what it says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. In the Old Testament, if you have your Bibles, turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 400 years before Jesus Christ was ever born, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your King is coming to you! He is righteous and victorious, yet He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. So this was prophesied that it would happen hundreds of years before it ever happened. Now here's what's interesting about this day is that they got to the side of the road and they were a fulfillment of that prophecy. But they didn't think, they didn't realize he wasn't coming as a political leader. They were held, heralding him, cheering for him, clapping for him, shouting for him, because they thought that Jesus was going to be their political leader. They thought he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought he was through a political system was going to set something up to make their life better. They didn't realize he had come to save them for eternity. He was their deliverer. He was their healer. He was their baptizer and their restorer. He was their provider and their comforter. He came for a totally different purpose than they realized. And the King of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, the sum total of wisdom and revelation, the deliverer of mankind, rode right past them. Some of them could have reached out and touched him. But they missed their God moment because they were looking for something that wasn't there. They missed God when he showed up. How many times in our life have we found ourselves in situations and we didn't think God showed up? And I want to tell you, He always shows up. How many God moments have we missed when we were looking in the wrong direction and looking for the wrong thing? The Bible says this. The Bible says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus always shows up. He always shows up in our moment of need. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yet often He doesn't arrive the manner we desire. So we miss our moment. We're looking for one thing and He comes another way. We're looking for it to happen this way and it happens another way. It's kind of like this. We are looking for an escape. Yet Jesus wants to walk with us as we endure. We are wanting immediate Yet Jesus wants us to understand that it's through faith and patience that we receive the promises. We are looking for prosperity, but Jesus wants to bring us blessing. See, He always shows up. Right now, you might be thinking, where is God? Where is God? I'm in the middle of this mess. Where in the world is He? He's right there with you. You need to focus on where He is, not what you're trying to get. Find God in your situation. Find Him. He's right there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So find Him in your situation. There have been multiple times in my life which I have found myself in a situation where it appeared that God didn't come through for me. It appeared that God didn't come through. 
Or at least he didn't come through the way I wanted him to. Anybody ever been there beside me? He didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer. He didn't come through the way I thought he should come through. And it would take weeks and months. And just to be honest with you, a few occasions, a couple of years, to realize God was working through that situation the whole time. I just couldn't see it. Because I was focused on the wrong thing. I've discovered this verse to be true. I give my heart to the Lord when I was 10. And I'm 59. 49 years I've learned this one truth about God. It's Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes everything. Everybody say everything. To work together for good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It might not seem good right now. It might not seem like God's even anywhere around your situation right now. But I promise you, He's working in your behalf. He's navigating. He's fixing. He's adjusting things around that scene of your event that you don't even know about. And His purpose and His plan, His good purpose and His good plan for your life is going to come about. The Creator of heaven and earth walked right by them. And they missed Him. They missed Him. Because they were looking for a political leader. A political leader. Christians today, let me tell you, we're falling prey to that same subtle deception. A lot of Christians today are looking for a political king instead of a spiritual king. We're thinking the man in the White House is the answer to our woes. Let me tell you what, it's not a Clinton, a Trump, or an Obama. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. He's the answer to our woes. And if we look to those men, we're going to receive what those men give us. And that's vanity and an end result of just good works. But if we look to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the supernatural power of God will work in behalf of our nation again. Let's not miss our God moment. Let's not miss our God moment. That happened on Sunday. Well, what about Monday? See, a lot of us know about Sunday, Palm Sunday. Then we jump to Friday. But this morning, I want to share briefly with you what happened the other days. Because there's sincere lessons we need to learn. What, what happened on Monday of Holy Week? Well, look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and those selling doves. He said to the, he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. But the leaders were indignant. Notice the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the Scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. On Sunday, God showed up. On Sunday, God came into the city. On Monday, the devil showed up. Let me tell you, on the hill of every victory, Satan will always show up to rob your joy. He'll always show up to rob your joy. So on Sunday, God Himself rode into the city. They didn't realize it, but God Himself showed up in their situation. On Monday, the devil showed up. And notice what the devil was upset about. The devil was upset about, about uh, he was trying to get prayer out of the church. 
Listen, religion is afraid of prayer. The spirit of religion doesn't want people praying. How many times have you discovered to have a 15 or 30 minute prayer time every day? How hard you have to fight to make that happen. How many times have you said, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible for 15 minutes and pray and in about 14 and a half minutes you wake up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dang, I went, boy, that was the spirit of God. No, it wasn't. It was the spirit of slumber. How many times you said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to pray, and you start to pray, and things you can't hadn't been able to remember for weeks suddenly pop in your mind, and you remember them when you get ready to pray. How many times have you got ready to do a devotion, and every interruption and distraction that's known to man, people will call you that you hadn't heard from in years? Why? Because Satan cannot stand prayer. He hates prayer. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Unfortunately, many of our church facilities today have turned into concert venues instead of prayer meetings. We spend more time promoting concerts and events than we do prayer meetings. And we fall and pray to what Satan has done. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Think about it this morning in our worship service. We've done everything just about but pray. Prayer has become a forgotten thing in most of our churches today. And we fall and pray to the devil. And Jesus said, no, no, we got to get rid of all this stuff. we got to get back to what prayer, what the church is all about. It's about prayer. Satan hates prayer. Notice the second thing religion uh, despises. Religious despises divine healing and the supernatural. Notice what it says in Matthew 21 verse 14. Notice Matthew 21 verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priest and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Then they got indignant. They got upset. Religion hates the supernatural. It despises divine healing and the supernatural. You want, you want to know why? Because religion longs to control God and man. When the supernatural is in operation, religion loses its control. When the supernatural is in operation, religion loses its control. One of our dear friends and members of our church here is Dr. Mike Courtney, who's executive branch director and founder of Branches Counseling Center. And he was on the second row this morning in the first service praise and worship. It got a little rowdy. Got a little rowdy. A couple of the worship singers started to, as Granny used to say, dance a jig. Y'all know what that is, don't you? Y'all know what dance a jig is, don't you? It means they wasn't standing there like a Methodist with a hymn book. <laughs> Had a little more activity than that. And I turned around to Dr. Mike Courtney because he was, he was former Nazarene pastor. I turned around, I said, get ready Nazarene, it's fixing to get rowdy in here. <laughs> My delayed laugh happens every time. <laughs> Religion hates the supernatural. Religion hates it because it loses control. And Jesus came to bring the supernatural back to the body of Christ and to mankind. And when He healed, religion couldn't take that. They couldn't stand it. 
But notice what else that happened on Monday. They got upset. Satan understands tomorrow's revival begins with today's children. He got upset. The religious crowd got upset when the children began to praise God. They didn't get upset. They didn't say a thing about the crowds in the streets on Sunday. They didn't say anything about the palm branches and about them voting the day off and all of that celebration. They didn't say, it was when the kids started praising Jesus. That's when the religious crowd got upset. That's when they got upset. Why? Because Satan understands tomorrow's revival begins with today's children. Satan tried to kill Moses as a baby. He tried to kill Jesus as a baby. If he can poison our children today, he can control them tomorrow. Deliverance and salvation for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be found in the transformation of our children today by the Spirit of God. That's why we put such an emphasis on our children. Look at Matthew chapter 21 verse 15. Look at Matthew 21 verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. The children crying. The children crying. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Listen to what Jesus gives us insight to the power of a child's worship. In fact, Jesus lets us know that when a child worships, heaven moves. When a child worships, it stops the devil. You want to get something done in the spirit realm? Get your kids to pray. Get your kids to pray. That's why Satan has infiltrated our schools, public schools and our universities so much with his secular humanism. He's wanting to steal our children. Because he understands children have a power in the supernatural realm that adults overlook often. Jesus said, have you never read? Listen to what he said. Jesus said, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? God has perfected praise. Listen to what he says. Have you never read? Jesus said, didn't you ever read? Now you're religious leaders, he says. You were religious leaders. Didn't you ever read that scripture in the Old Testament that tells us that out of babies' mouths and nursing infants, that when they praise God, it is perfect praise. It's an unusual praise. It's an extraordinary praise. Something different happens. Oh yeah, we can have wonderful music and wonderful worship like we had this morning and God loves that and God enjoys that and we get blessed by it. But God says something happens in the heavenlies when children praise, when children worship. Have you never read? Well, where did He say that? He said, have you never read? Where did he say that? I'll show you where he said it. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Turn over to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 verse 1. Jesus is literally quoting the psalmist. And he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2. Here he goes. Jesus is just quoting the psalmist. Out of the mouth 
of babes and nursing infants. You have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Why did the religious crowd want to shut the children up? Why did they get mad when the children started to praise Jesus? Because the heavens understand that when children praise God, it releases the strength of God. And the Bible says when they praise God and the strength of God is released, it silences the devil. Why does the devil after our children? If he can shut them up, he can keep talking. But if we allow them to praise God, it shuts the devil up. It shut, it's the ordained strength of God. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, when children with a pure heart worship, not to be seen, not to be heard of man, not to impress, not to have faith, but they just out of their heart of love and purity, they've fallen, they've heard about Jesus, and they've fallen in love with the one who saves and heals and delivers and, and, and rescues the child and raises up the dead. Well, they fell in love with Him and they just want to praise Him. And the Bible says when that praise comes forth, it's like the strength of heaven shuts the enemy down. It shuts the enemy down. Religion hates children to get fired up and radical for Jesus Christ. It hates it. So Sunday Jesus shows up. Monday the devil shows up. Well, what happened on Tuesday? Well, look at John chapter 12 verse 20. Some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Verse 23. This happened on Tuesday now. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and it dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Verse 27. Jesus said this, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? And he says, This is the very reason I came. Tuesday was a somber day. It was a day that Jesus Christ came to the realization deliverance from death was not coming. Deliverance from crucifixion was not coming. He was going to have to go through it. He understood that on Tuesday of Holy Week. Monday was they were praising Him. Tuesday He was fighting the devil and winning Monday, I mean Sunday they were praising Him. Monday He was fighting the devil and winning. Tuesday He comes to the realization He's got to give His life. But there's something else that happened on Tuesday that really troubled me for years. It was that fig tree deal. That fig tree. You ever heard that story where Jesus cursed the fig tree? That happened on Tuesday. Now why in the world... 
did they throw that story in there? Let's read it. Turn with me to Matthew 21, verse 18. In the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, this was Tuesday, he was hungry. And he noticed the fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there was any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Huh. That always bothered me. The poor fig tree got blasted because it didn't have any fruit on it. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Now what in the world does this have to do with Holy Week? Over the years I read this part of the Holy Week story and honestly would just quickly skip over it because it didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense. My initial thought was that the humanity of Jesus got the best of it. He was hungry, he went to this tree, thought it had fruit on it, it didn't, it made him mad, so he put the double whammy on it. Y'all know what the double whammy is, don't you? Y'all ever put the double whammy on anything? I put the double whammy on a couple of things. Have you ever reached into the freezer and you looked in there and saw a carton of butter pecan Briar's ice cream and you reach in there to grab it and you pick it up and you realize it's empty? Somebody had put in an empty carton back in the freezer and it makes you so mad that you just throw it. I thought that's what Jesus went to the fig tree. I know about that. I, 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 I understand that because that's what happened to me. Late at night, quiet as I can be. Amanda's in bed. I open the refrigerator. I sink in the freezer. And I look in there, and there's a half a gallon of butter pecan sitting there. My favorite flavor. I look around. I go around and turn the TV up just a little higher. I reach in there to get, and I lift it up, and it... Somebody has put an empty carton of ice cream back. It made me so mad. Then I got mad I wanted her to wake up. I slammed the door. I opened the door of the pantry. I threw it in there. And then it dawned on me, I was the last one to eat the ice cream. And I, and I, put, it, I, I put it back in there empty because I didn't want her to know that I'd been eating the ice cream. Not only does it work on ice cream... How many of you know a, a spoonful of peanut butter right before you go to bed is a real good treat? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you know you can, you can deceive the uh, supply manager of your house and you can get the peanut butter out of the middle and still have the peanut butter around the outside and they look at it on the shelf and think, oh, we've got plenty. They don't know you've been sneaking in there in the middle of the night. And you pick that thing up and they say, boy, that don't feel heavy at all. Well, I thought that's what happened to Jesus. I figured he went to the fig tree and wanted something to eat. And he just got mad and threw a fit and cursed it. But look at Mark chapter 11, verse 12. 
The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. That always bothered me. Why did they put this story in there? Why did Jesus do that? And if he's going to do it, why did he do it during Holy Week? What does that have to do with anything? The Word tells us that Jesus saw a fig tree from a distance and it had leaves on it. The fruit of the fig tree. You've got to understand the fig tree. The fruit of the fig tree generally appears before the leaves. A lot of fruit trees, the leaf appears, then the fruit appears. But not with the fig tree. With the fig tree, the fruit appears, then the leaf appears. And because the fruit is green, it blends in with the leaves right up until it's almost ripe. Therefore, when Jesus and his disciples saw from a distance that the tree had leaves, they would have expected it also to have fruit on it, even though it was earlier than normal for the fruit-bearing season. Each fig tree, each fig tree could also produce two to three crops of fruit each season. There would be an early crop in the spring and followed by one or two later crops in the year. In some parts of Israel, depending on the climate and conditions, it was also possible that a fig tree might produce fruit 10 out of the 12 months of the year. This explains why Jesus and his disciples were looking for fruit on the fig tree, even though it was not the premier fruit-bearing season. But what is the spiritual significance? What is the eternal significance of that? What's God trying to say to us? I don't even have fig trees in my yard. Does have anything? How many of you got fig trees in your yard? Doesn't have anything to do with you. But what's God saying? If you ever get a fig tree, make sure you don't do this or give it a try. I don't know. What's He saying? This is what He's saying. Giving the appearance of fruitfulness but yielding no fruit is called hypocrisy. Giving the appearance of fruitfulness, but yielding no fruit, is called hypocrisy. Jesus is judging the hypocrisy of Israel. Remember, in another place, Israel is referred to as a fig tree. They had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Over the years of serving the Lord and watching hundreds of Christians, I have learned that judgment will come quicker over sins of the heart than sins of the flesh. If your heart is pure, if you're not deceptive in your heart, God will be merciful even though you mess up in the flesh. Did you hear me? How many times have you seen people mess up, 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 and they ask and they pray for something and God does it for them? Even though you've seen them mess up, you've lived a lot better than they have. But they mess up, they mess up, they mess up, they mess up, and God still answers all their prayers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you look at them and say, how's that work for them? Because I've learned God will judge you quicker over sins of the heart than sins of the flesh. When you know to do something and don't do it, that's when God will judge you. Quick. 
Everybody with me? Hypocrisy. That happened on Tuesday. Wednesday. I got to hurry. Wednesday is called Spy Wednesday. Holy Wednesday is called Spy Wednesday. Why do they call it Spy Wednesday? Because that's the day in which Judas portrayed Jesus. Verse, Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? They counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to portray him. Sunday, the parade of triumph. Monday, religion rises up. Tuesday, Jesus comes to the somber realization he's going to die. He deals with hypocrisy in the church. Wednesday, the scheme is set in place to crucify him, to betray him. Then we come to Thursday. Thursday is what's referred to in modern Protestant churches as Maundy Thursday. Anybody ever heard of Maundy Thursday? Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday commemorates the Last Supper when Jesus shared the Passover meal with His disciples before His crucifixion. Look at Matthew 26, verse 20. When evening had come, He sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, He said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with Me in the dish will betray of Me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Look at verse 25. It's interesting. Then Judas, who was betraying him. See, the scheme was already working. The money had already been exchanged hands. The scheme was in order. The plan was in place. Notice it didn't say who was going to. It said who was already betraying him. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Jesus said to him, you've said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It's what we refer to as Holy Communion. This is where it began, right here. It happened on Thursday. And the word Maundy... Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy means a commandment. Because we think of Thursday being just the Last Supper, but there's something even greater than that. While Jesus was being betrayed and a few hours away from cruel and painful crucifixion, yet He manifests true love by serving. Look what He did. Look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose up from supper, laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Verse 12. Go down to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, one translation says a commandment, that you should do as I have done to you. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Sunday was the parade. Monday, religion tried to stop him. Tuesday is a somber realization that he's going to die. And the demand and judgment against hypocrisy. Friday, the plan is set in place to betray him. Thursday, he eats Last Supper with his disciples. And then he does something most remarkable. When he's just hours away from being betrayed. When he's just moments away from his very closest friends denying they ever knew him. When he's just moments away from acquaintances bringing false accusations against him. Instead of going into self-protection mode. Instead of looking for an escape. You know what he does? He washes his disciples' feet. He chooses to serve. He says, this is the commandment I want to give you. This is the commandment I leave you. To love one another and serve. Do you know? We think we've gone over and beyond when we serve when it fits into our schedule and doesn't interfere with anything we want to do. We think we've gone over and beyond when what we do fits into our schedule and it's what we want to do. That's not really serving. Not the God kind of serving. Jesus demonstrated real love when at the moment of his abuse, when he was being falsely accused, instead of defending himself or casting blame or try to find an escape, Jesus chooses to serve and wash his disciples' feet. Let me ask you a question we'll end with this. At this season in your life, at this moment in our life, at this moment in your life and at this moment in my life, can we identify one thing where we're actually serving? Can we identify one thing where we're actually serving? Not just doing the things you enjoy doing during your free time, but actually serving. Do you hear me? Not just doing the things you enjoy doing during your free time, but actually serving where it becomes a sacrifice to put your schedule, your time, your desires to the side and serving someone who chances are is going to do nothing for you. Are we doing anything like that in our life? Or are we just doing the thing, well, i got time, to, I can fit this in. Yeah, I can, do, I can help in this area. If it doesn't interfere with this, because I gotta be over here, get my nails done, I got soccer practice, and you know, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta do this, you know, I gotta go hunting, and, and you know, I meet the guys for coffee, I, I keep, you know, you know, we, we take a weekend off every once in a while, you know, I just keep doing, do we really know what serving is? Are we doing anything? And that, that is the story of Thursday. That's the story. Jesus chose to serve instead of self-protect. Friday, it happens. Saturday's silence in heaven. But Sunday's coming. 
Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.